his beloved. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the truth is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is God's word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, we need your presence. We need your guidance. We need you to take the preached word and to apply it to all of our hearts. We all are in desperate and constant need of grace as we navigate life. So we never go through this life without needing you. We need more of you, not less of you. So I pray that you administer to our hearts, that you administer to our minds, that you administer to our emotions, that you administer to our whole person in a way that builds us up, in a way that empowers us to go back out into the world one more week. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Deva, Erica, Eric, Zavion, Reginald, Nasia, and Leon are seven siblings who are separated by, by, by foster homes in Mariana, Florida. Siblings dreamed and hoped to find a forever family under one roof. And that's hard, almost impossible. I mean, it's like a dream that might not come true, a hope that may even be false. Blair Bell, who works for the Children's Home Society, says, I heard from so many people that finding a home for seven children would be impossible. Siblings are the longest bond that, that we will ever have, and it was very important that we find a home that would take all seven and make a true forever family. Nasia, she's age, she was age 12 at the time, and she's the oldest of the seven. She said, we never thought we would get adopted. Never thought we would get adopted. Think about that. I never thought we would find a forever family. But they did. This is the amazing thing about the story. They found a favorite family. A local couple named Deshaun and Sophia, they saw the story about these siblings on the news. 
and they knew they were called to adopt them. The, the Sophia says, it was a done deal from the day we saw the story. Before we ever met them, it was a done deal. When I saw that picture, it was a done deal for me, honestly. We looked at each other and said, we got to do this. It's time. There, there's no maybe. We have to do this. And they did. They adopted the seven siblings. And the news story called them the lucky seven because their dream came true. Hope realized they found their forever family. And in Christ, so has every believer. But do you believe it? If you have saving faith in Jesus, then you are a part of a forever family. God has adopted you, made you his. And your adoption is a done deal. Forever his son, forever his daughter, forever his children, forever his beloved. And so now who shall separate us from this love? Shall sin? Shall Satan? Shall the world? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Or sword? The Apostle Paul says, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an amen statement. That's your adoption in Christ. It's eternal security. But do you believe your adoption? And do you live your adoption? Many times we don't. We forget. We forget that we are adopted sons and daughters. And we revert to living like orphans. You see, understanding our adoption needs constant preventive maintenance. It helps us fight off our orphan, our orphan tendencies. Who do you think John is writing this letter to? Why is he writing this letter? He isn't writing this letter to orphans. He's writing this letter to those who have been adopted, to sons and daughters of the king, to Christians, to people who know Jesus and save in faith. He's writing this letter because of who we already are in Christ, because we have been justified, because it's already a done deal, because we're sons and daughters, because of our adoption, because we're part of a forever family. Look at verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men and women, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do you see and understand these words? John is writing this letter because of who believers already are. He's not writing it because of who he wants them to be. You see? He's writing it to you because of who you already are. Thank you, whoever said that. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. He's writing this to you because you already are in Christ. Not because of who he wants you to be. 
Your sins are forgiven in Christ's sake, for his sake. You know him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. Think about that. That's present tense. You have already overcome him. You are strong in Christ. The word of God does abide in you through the spirit. These are privileges of your adoption. And you don't have to beg the father for them. You don't have to beg him for these. You don't have to plead with him for these. You don't have to cry to him for these. He gives you these freely. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 34 says, what is adoption? What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have all the rights and privileges of sons and daughters of God. That means your adoption is a done deal. An act of free grace. Now, if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have a right to any of these privileges. You don't have a forever family. You are an orphan. And pretending to be a believer when you're not is simply foster care. You're not a true son. You're not a true daughter until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can't be adopted into God's family apart from Jesus. His sacrifice on a cross for your sins. He died in your place so you can be at peace with God. Reconcile to him forever. And all you have to do is submit and to surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior in faith. That's all you got to do. And when you do this, you will no longer be an orphan. You will no longer be in foster care. You will be adopted into a forever family. As true sons and true daughters, do you want a forever family? Or do you just want to be in foster care? Do you just want to be an orphan? Do you want to be a son? Do you want to be a daughter? Then you need to come to Jesus. That's the only way. You need to come to him. My family and I were invited to some friend's house on for the 4th of July, for a 4th of July fish fry and cookout. Now, we ate. We talked. We laughed. It was a good time. Good conversations, good celebration, good time of fellowship. And the evening concluded with a fireworks show that the neighborhood puts on each year. Each year. So, kids, did you like fireworks show? Who likes the fireworks show as a kid? Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. There's something wonderful and peaceful about a good fireworks show. Seeing the night sky illuminated with all those colors, your eyes looking into the heavens and seeing the display of beauty. It's nice. It's captivating. It's restful. Your adoption in Christ is a fireworks show that never ends. Your adoption in Christ is a fireworks show it never ends. Why? Because it illuminates all the privileges of, ch- of children. It illuminates all your privileges of what it means to be God's son and daughter. That's what it does. All the blessings, anointing, setting underneath the fireworks of your adoption is wonderful. Son, daughter, justified, forgiven, beloved, provided for, loved, restored, Healed, forgiven, afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Fire show, privileges of your adoption. Enjoy the fire show that never ends. 
Let it minister to you. Let it comfort you. Let it motivate you. Let it give you perseverance and let it change you. First John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so that's who we are. Do you believe it? And do you live it? A vantage point is a place or position that affords a good view of something. Like a mountain. A mountain is a vantage point that gives you a good view into the valley. That's what your adoption is. It's a vantage point. It gives you a good view of the ups and downs of life. It gives you a good view of who you are in Christ. And it gives you a good view of how to live for him. You see, let your adoption be the vantage point as we work our way through verses 1 through 11. You can't look at these verses apart from your adoption in Christ. You can't. You see, because of your adoption... You can walk in what John calls us to in these verses. He simply calls you to live out the reality of your sonship and your daughtership. That's what he calls you to. Live like sons and daughters and not orphans. First, sons and daughters live to embrace the only advocate who is forever by their side. Sons and daughters live to embrace the only advocate they're ever going to have in this life. And what does an advocate mean? Who is an advocate? It means to come alongside of someone. It means to help, to intercede, to defend, to stand with, to fight for, to take up someone else's cause. That's what Jesus is for each of you if you have saving faith in him. He's your advocate in your struggle with sin. Okay, here we'll go again. As I said, Jesus is your legal defense before the Father. Your legal defense. Verse 1, it says again, my little tribute, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, Jesus wasn't just your advocate in the past. He wasn't just your advocate at the moment of your conversion. And some of us, that's how we think about him. He was my advocate the day I got saved. No, he's your advocate today. Amen. Presently. Right now. At this moment. And he ain't sometime in either. He ain't on again, off again advocate. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He continues to be your advocate 365 days a year. And that's an amen statement. Romans 8.34 says, tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father and he continues to make intercession for us. Why? Because he is the propitiation for our sins. Not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. His sacrifice satisfies the wrath of God. You need to know that. It satisfies God's wrath. 
And that wrath was meant for you. That judgment was meant for you. Please know that. For each of you. But Christ took it upon himself so you will never have to face it. He turns judgment into favor. Your favor. Because of his death and his sacrifice. He is who reconciles you to God. And he is forever your father. This means in your struggles with sin, you have forgiveness in advance. Forgiveness in advance in your struggles with sin because of Jesus. And that forgiveness is made available to all people. All they got to do is repent and trust in him. It's all they have to do. A bullhorn is an electronic device that amplifies the sound of a person's voice so it can be heard at a distance. So in a great crowd of voices, whoever has a bullhorn, it can sound out all the other voices. So the question for you is, who are the voices that speak to you? Who are the voices that speak at you? What voices have the bullhorn in your life? Is it self? Is it the world? Is it social media? Is it a certain person? Is it your peer group? Are these voices deceiving you? Are they telling you the truth? Are they shaming and guilting you? Are these voices affirming you? The voices we allow to speak into our mind and heart and soul will either build us up or tear us down. But there's only one voice that should have the bullhorn. That's the Father's voice. His voice should sound out all other voices. Is it? This is my second point here. Sons and daughters live to embrace the Father's voice. Sons and daughters live to embrace the Father's voice in their life. Verses 3 to 6 is all about the Father's voice having a bullhorn in your life. Children love the Father's voice even when the voice is words of correction and discipline. When they hear the Father's voice, they don't run and hide among the trees. That's what orphans do when they hear the Father's voice. Sons and daughters don't. They come to him. They embrace the voice. They receive the voice. They obey the voice. They follow the voice. They submit to the voice. And they trust the voice. Where do you go to hear the Father's voice in your life? His word. The Bible is his voice. And how often do you come to embrace it? How often do you come to embrace it? When you come across the word commandment in the Bible, what is your initial response? What emotions do you feel? What thoughts come to mind? Well, it all depends on your listening ear. If you're, it, it depends on if you're listening as a child or you're listening as an orphan. It makes all the difference. Because listening as an orphan leads to legalism that wears you down. Listening as an orphan leads to rebellion that ends up destroying your life. But listening as adopted sons and daughters, that leads to an obedience that sanctifies you more and more into the image of Christ. And you end up striving to walk more like him in your life. Look at verses 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him. 
if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. You see, children hear the father's voice like Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listening like sons and daughters, it leads you to embrace the father's voice as fatherly wisdom, instruction, counsel and guidance, not simply a list of do's and don'ts. That's orphan thinking. If you see his word and commandments as a list of do's or don'ts, you're thinking like an orphan, not a child. That's not how childs think. That's not how sons and daughters think. Because when the father corrects me, that is love. When he tells me no, that is love. Listening like sons and daughters, you, it leads you to embrace your freedom in Christ within fatherly limits. I say that again. Listening to his voice like sons and daughters, it leads you to embrace your freedom in Christ with fatherly limits. Why do you put limits on your kids? Do you put limits on them because you hate them? Because you love them. And if you set limits on your own kids, what about our, what about your heavenly father? What about him? Should he set limits on us too? Yes, he does it because he loves us. Children receive that as love. Orphans do not. Orphans do not. Third, sons and daughters live to embrace the father's love and to extend that love to other people. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is proof that God loves you. You need to let that marinate for you in your heart for a while. The cross is proof that God's love, he loves you with an unfailing love, with a love that would never let you go. One hymn says, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond our measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as rooms that marry the chosen one brings many sons to glory. That's how deep his love is for you. And the more you embrace that love for yourself, the more you should extend it to other people, believers and non-believers. See, sons and daughters, they strive to love people like Jesus loves people. Look at verses 7 and 8. Here John reinforces what has already been given, the command to love other people. And that commandment is in both the Old and New Testament. He says, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does that mean? It means the light of Jesus is progressively advancing in the world. And the darkness is progressively passing away. Sons and daughters, they reflect the light of Jesus, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. 
and his reflection shines brightest in us when we love other people sacrificially. If you're not loving other people, then there's something about your own adoption you don't understand. You don't understand the way the Father loves you. You're functioning like an orphan, not a child. You're walking with your eyes closed, not with your eyes open. Verses 9 through 11 says, For whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Saints of God, loving your siblings in the household of faith is not optional. It's the Father's expectation. Loving non-Christians isn't optional either. It's an expectation. So is loving your neighbor, your co-worker, the neighbor whose dog poops in your yard. You got to love him too. The Democrat, the Republican, the people who live alternative lifestyles. It also means loving other people on social media like Facebook. What does this mean for us here in our small congregation, in our local body of Christ? What does this mean for us? We will either tolerate one another like orphans or we will love one another like brothers and sisters in Christ. One or two is going to happen. One or two is going to happen. Are you functioning like an orphan here? Or are you living like an adopted son or daughter? Here at the Village Church, we're brothers and sisters in Christ who strive to bear one another's burdens, who strive to keep short accounts with each other. We pursue reconciliation when, when fellowship is broken because we sin against each other, and we will sin against each other. We strive to walk along alongside one another in the spirit of mutual brokenness. Who has issues? Who has issues? And if you forget that, that's an issue. Yes. Yes. We're striving to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and multicultural church. And guess what comes with that? A lot of discomfort. If you don't feel any discomfort, then you're truly not integrated into the life of this church. If you're not truly trying to love each other, and you're not experiencing any discomfort. Blending us together into a healthy family isn't easy, but it's worth it. Pastoring this church is not easy for me, but it's worth it. We have to learn to love one another concretely, not vaguely. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Guess what? I'm going to tell you. Many of you know the phrase elephant in the room. I mean, you know what that phrase refers to. It refers to a problem people don't want to address. Difficult situations people won't try to avoid. Hard topics that people don't want to talk about. I have identified six elephants in the room in our church. Culture, ethnicity, racism, politics, social class, and justice. You can't a church like ours without those elephants taking up space in this building. The elephants are here. And we will, we will either address these elephants like orphans or we're going to address these elephants like sons and daughters. Orphans, this is what orphans do. Orphans navigate around the elephants. We they navigate around them, pretending like the elephants aren't even here. And, when they, and, and we break fellowship when someone challenges our view of the elephants. But sons and daughters, we acknowledge the elephants. 
And we lovingly address them under the banner of the cross. Can't take the cross out of it. Adopted children, we engage these elephants in a way that creates mutual understanding within the body. In a way that builds the body up in love. Ignoring them does not build us up. And not talking about them creates false peace and unity. I said we need to learn to love concretely. Well, let's get concrete. I struggle with depression. And I'm currently taking antidepressants. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I voted for George W. Bush twice. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I voted for President Obama twice. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I didn't vote in the last election. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I let my kids listen to kid box. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I believe in systemic injustice in America. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I prefer Starbucks coffee over Dunkin' Donuts. Do you love me less? Do you respect me less? I shouldn't have to be you and agree with you on everything in order for you to love me. And you shouldn't have to be me and agree with me on everything for me to love you either. What's more concrete than this? If you're white, you shouldn't feel guilty for being white to be part of this church. If you're black, you shouldn't feel guilty for being black to be part of this church. If you're Puerto Rican, you shouldn't feel guilty for being Puerto Rican to be part of this church. Because if you feel guilty, then we ain't doing something right. That's love and concretely. I put myself out there. Now you go do the same with each other. Because if there's certain things we can't be honest with each other about, we ain't really family. We just people that go to church together. We just because we can be diverse and take up the same space. We don't really be in community together. We just black and white people that go to church together. Outside of that, we ain't nothing. But if we're going to be family, then we got to deal with the elephants in the room. If we're going to love with one another, we got to deal with the elephants in the room in a way that builds us up. You think it's easy for me to come and say these things? Because I like, I like for people to like me. That's an idol. Pray for me. But if I'm expecting you to do it, then I got to do it. We ain't going to agree on everything, but we need to understand and respect one another. That is an expectation in the life of this church. That we will understand and respect one another in our differences. Why? Because of our adoption. That's why. Because we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's why. If the blood ain't powerful enough to draw us together, nothing ever will. Nothing ever will. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13 and 15, But now in Christ, you who were once far off, have been brought near by his blood. Not by your ethnicity, not by your culture, not by your politics, not by your view of anything else, but by by his blood. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might in himself create one new person in the place of the two. So making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God through one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
That's who we are. And he goes on in chapter four. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and bonds of peace. Sons and daughters do this. Orphans will not. They won't do it. So you're going to be an orphan. You're going to be a child. You're already a child. I might see you to live like one. One Christian says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life in order to enrich the life of another. Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life in order to enrich the life of another. Are we willing? Are we willing, each of us, are we willing to lay aside certain privileges, rights, pleasures, habits, possessions, status, or whatever in order to enrich one another's life? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Take a look at that table. Look at it. Because you know what that table tells you? It tells you that Jesus laid aside his life to enrich your life. Think about that. If you ain't willing to lay aside certain things, to enrich the life of someone else, just remember, Jesus did that for you. He laid aside of it all. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. So what's your motivation to land stuff aside? Jesus. Because he says that's for you. He did that for you. This meal is for anyone who has saving faith in Jesus. The spirit uses this meal to nourish us spiritually. And so if you know Jesus in faith and this meal is for you, friends and neighbors don't know Christ and saving faith, thank you for being here. And if you have questions of what it means to know him as Lord and Savior, please see me after the service and I will tell you the good news of the gospel. Adults, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you attend. Now, I may have all the attention to all the village kids. Please look at Pastor Alex. This meal, this table, is a reminder that Jesus loves each and every one of you. Are you looking? Can I see you? Now, if I can't see you, that means you ain't paying attention to me. Okay, I'm sharing the gospel with you right now. This meal is a reminder he loves you. It's a meal that, that shows you that he really did down the cross for your sins so that you could be made right with God the Father. And it's my prayer as your pastor that you become the saving faith in Christ. And then one day you get to partake this meal with your mom and dad, your grandparents, or your guardian. That's my prayer for you, that you would never know the day in which you didn't know God loves you. And this meal is a constant reminder of that. Amen? Amen. Amen.